Heavenly Father, we, we echo the prayer of that song, praying that your Holy Spirit would fill us and lead us in this time, that your Spirit would uh, shape us and mold us through the proclamation of your word, help us to see ourselves and how we can grow in Christ's likeness through your word this morning, as not only as individuals, but also as a church. And we pray that your spirit and would, be, would cause uh, us to, to grow in Christ's likeness so that you would be glorified, that the world may, when they come to this church, when they see us uh, living our lives in the world, that they would come to see and, and know where Christ is and where Christ can be found uh, in the church, in your church, in your family. Now, Lord, we pray these things for your glory in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Caesar, sister, please sit down. Have a seat. And uh, well, this is going to be my last Sunday that I'll be preaching to you, at least for a while. <laughs> um, and I'll explain a little bit. But uh, so this morning, I'd like to kind of take us on a little bit on a different path, a different uh, uh, place, a uh, something that just is on my heart and I wanted to speak to you about. And so we'll be leaving Hebrews for just this week, and we'll come back to Hebrews in about a couple months. And uh, hopefully the keynote will pop up somewhere along the way for you. Well, many years ago, uh, as you may, um, as you may, some of you may remember, I don't know how many, but a few of you perhaps might, I preached a sermon entitled, Every Attender a Member, Every Attender a Member. Uh, at that time, uh, the church was growing, uh, many new people were attending Esa Bible, coming to Esa Bible. We were in the process as leaders considering expanding various ministries, worship services, nursery ministry, building, and, and uh, fellowship groups, and so much more. Uh, but before building the church, uh, through adding programs and various facilities uh, that we eventually did add, it was our conviction as a church and leadership that a healthy church must be a church that is built on the gospel, the gospel first. A healthy church understands that the the gospel, uh, that is, one's confession of Christ as our Savior and Lord, that is what qualifies a person to become a member of Christ's universal church and also the local church, this local church. As some of you may have remembered in your church history class, church history has demonstrated that whenever the church adds members simply because of their attendance or because of their family relationships or any other reason other than the confession of Jesus as Lord, the church inevitably grows weak, sick, and it loses its distinction from the world. The purpose of that original message, every attender a member, was to see that every attender of Esa Bible understands the gospel, confesses Jesus as Lord, and commits to be an active member of this church. And 
Here we are, 14 years later. We find ourselves in, again, similar situation. The church continues to grow. Many new people continue to come and attend as a Bible. And it seemed fitting to me to revisit this theme of church membership. Along with a biblical understanding of the gospel, a healthy church must also have a biblical understanding of church membership. And those of you that have been in our Adult One Sunday School class understand this. We just taught this a few weeks ago. And when we talk about church membership, the Bible uses several analogies from life. The first time when we examine this theme, we examine how church membership is like a, being a member, a part of the body, a physical body. How there are one body, but there's many different parts. We're all connected together. And all the different ramifications of being a member of a body, physical body. This morning, we want to examine how church membership is like being a member of a family. Every family has various household members, father, mother, sons, daughters, and parents, etc., and the word that we want to focus on this morning, the, the study really that we're taking you through, it's going to be a topical sermon, but I'm going to take you through really a, a, almost a word study, a various passages that focus on this theme, this word, and the word that we're going to look at in the New Testament is the word household. Household. A household speaks to, really refers to the members of a, of a family, the members of a household. And when all of us is... When we believed in Jesus Christ, all of us became members of God's household, of God's family. As we read in Romans 8, for our call to worship, we were adopted into this family of God. We became sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We became heirs of the things of God, heirs with Christ. All these having been completely as really once, never his people before, as aliens and strangers from him. Enemies really, in fact. But now we are a part of his family. And being a member of God's household or a member of God's family has ramifications also for our daily life. Like being a part of your own family. I know there are responsibilities. There's implications for you to be part of your family. There are blessings. There are responsibilities that come. And the same goes with being part of God's family. There are blessings and responsibilities that come with being part of, being part of his family. And this, this morning, we're going to examine various scriptures uh, in the New Testament that speak on the topic of membership in God's household. And uh, <clears throat> for our outline today, we're going to look at four ramifications of membership in the family of God. Four ramifications of membership in the family of God. May it be encouragement to us as we, um, as we look to the future of Esa Bible. Number one, we're going to look at today in the passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, we're going to learn that membership in the family of God means growing together. It means growing together. And we, uh, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 19 to 22. All right. Actually, I'll put it up there for you. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. There's our word. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul to instruct the church in Ephesus on how to walk in a manner worthy of one's calling in Jesus Christ. God has richly blessed every believer, you and me included, in a, <clears throat> by choosing us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And this is all in, the light of the, in light of the fact that we were all at one point dead in our trespasses and sins. Not only that, but for the majority of us, we were outsiders. We were Gentiles. We were not of Jewish descent. We were outsiders to God's promises to the nation Israel. We're strangers to the covenants of promise. We really, as Gentiles, as unbelieving Gentiles, we had no hope of knowing God, no promise. But in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near by Jesus Christ, by the blood of Christ. And this is where verse 19 picks up in Ephesians chapter 2. That therefore, you Gentiles who are now saved, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Strangers and aliens, those are people you don't know. They're people you don't know who they are. They're, they're people who are foreigners. They're people who are, you know, you, you teach your kids, you know, watch out for strangers. Don't talk to them. They're people that you keep at a distance because you don't know them very well at all. And God says, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You are now fellow citizens, citizens of, a, of, a, of the state of, of heaven, really. And you are of God's family, God's household. You're part of God's family. This is not a symbolic thing. This is not merely sentiment. This is straight-up truth. You are a part of God's family. As much as you belong to your earthly family, and you do, you also belong to God's family. It's a reality. And as part of God's family, you're part of something that God is building. The rest of the passage, 20 verse 20 to 22, switch to the analogy of the church as, as a building for God to dwell. We're all like bricks and uh, stones within the building that God dwells. And if you know, um, in the Old Testament, where did God dwell? God dwelt in the tabernacle, and then later on in the temple. But in the New Testament, where does God dwell? God dwells in his church, in you and me. God dwells in each of us. And to, that's why Paul says together, this building, that this, this family, we are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We're being built up. We're, we're being built up into something. This, this family that is built upon the cornerstone of Christ is not built by the programs that we run. It's not built by the large buildings that we build or own. It's built on the, the, our confession of Christ that each of us has put our trust and faith in the death and resurrection of Christ. And that faith is what causes this body to grow. It is what we are built upon. And I hope that you, and if you've been attending for a while, you understand this. This is what uh, we hope that consistently out of this, our ministries and out of the pulpit, you hear about the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ and how he came to die for our sins and rose from the grave so that all who believe in him may have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I hope that you responded, more importantly, to this gospel by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus. And if you have then God intends for you to be a part of 
the church family, this church family, since you're here in this church. And that part of by being in the church family is that you would be built up, that you would grow together with the other members of this family. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived in the context of relationships, of a church family. So think about your own life, how, how void it would be if you didn't have the relationships of your family. Oh, yes, there are difficulties in family, no doubt. But overall, in the long run, it is a greater blessing to have family in our lives and to be a part of their lives. Now, in a church of our size, it's hard to think of ourselves as a family. It's hard to, we may say we're a family, but it's hard to relate like a family. It really, practically, it's challenging because just the large size. You just cannot know everyone as well as you would know your own family. <clears throat> but I hope that over time, that you will slowly, as you're part of this church family, that you'll begin to recognize many of the, many of the different members of this family and that you will start to build relationships not with all, you're not going to be able to do practically with all, but you're going to build relations with at least a group of people in this church. A handful, perhaps, maybe a little more, depending upon who you are, so that together, as you're connected with those other brothers and sisters in this church, you're going to grow together in Christ. For God has designed it so that you and I are, need to be fitted together in some way. Right? How can a, a building be built with stones that just lie apart? It, how can there be a body where the members of the body are all separated? Just there's no family without the members of the body being connected, fitted together, having those relationships. And what this practically means is, number one, we're going to, and this will be one of the main, uh, well, this was the main theme of, the, of my first time I preached this, you, that you become an active member of this church. All of us would be active members of this family. Join if you haven't joined. Serve in some way if you're not serving. And then secondly, you find a way to build relationships with others in this church. Find a way to build, be part of a, a group, maybe join a fellowship group, join a Sunday school class. Even our Sunday school class can be opportunities for you to build relationships or a small group, a, a Bible study or something like that. And I'll be providing more information on this at the end of the sermon. So that's number one. Membership in the family of God means growing together. Like all families grow together. We grow together. Secondly, second ramification of being a family of God is that membership in the family of God means doing good to one another. And we see this from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. Just a few pages uh, previous. In our Bibles, Galatians 6, 9-10, we read this. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. The Apostle Paul writes Galatians to churches that were wrestling with false teachers of legalism and that somehow salvation was, may involve faith, but it involved faith plus keeping the law. 
And Paul reminds the Galatians that the righteous shall live by faith and faith alone. And though obedience to the law could save no one, for no one could keep the law, Paul exhorts the Galatians, nevertheless, to to not use their freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh. That is, to go the opposite way from legalism, that is, licentiousness. Between these two dangers of legalism and licentiousness is the way of love. That what we do, we do out of love for Christ, for others. In love, believers are to walk by the Spirit. And one of those demonstrations of love is that we do good works with the resources that God provides us. And although our good deeds may seem at times to produce no fruit, maybe, we, we may give to someone, we may give to a work, but there seems to be nothing happening, <clears throat> and even our doing good may be a significant sacrifice of our resources, Paul urges us to don't quit, don't lose heart in doing good. Some of you may provide meals and uh, meals to others and give meals and visit, and uh, some of you are help, help out in different ways to do g- good deeds, or maybe you're, uh, you're spending time with someone, but it seems to be no fruit or no results. But God says, do not, do not lose heart. In due time, you will reap if we do not grow weary. In due time, the, the, like the farmer who patiently tilled, sowed, and watered a field, there will eventually be a time for reaping of that which you sow. Of course, we're not talking about sowing, some, sowing one for your own salvation as if you're working for your salvation. But rather, it's a, there will be a sowing of a reward of seeing spiritual fruit in our own lives. As we become more like Christ and seeing spiritual fruit in the lives of people that we may minister to, in the lives of those we bless. And I think the, one of the greatest examples of this is, is parenting, as many of you know. Those early years, uh, you know, uh, it's, they don't do much. You know, they, they just eat, sleep, and poop, Right? Uh, but, and you, but you, and you're weary, <laughs> very weary. But you do not quit. You keep growing at it. You keep loving them. You keep providing. You keep feeding and teaching all that. And then somewhere along the way, they they grow up. They become adults. And you hopefully will see the fruits of what you poured into their lives. Don't lose heart. So as long as we have opportunity, as long as we have the time and resources. The Bible instructs us as a family to do good, to do good to all people. First of all, it's all people, it's clear. But especially, we are to do good to those who are of the household of the faith. We're especially to do good to the family of God, the family of God that is, exists through our faith, our common faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we call the household of faith. We are especially do good to those who are fellow members of God's family, right? And this isn't favoritism. This is about family. Just like our earthly families, when our family members in need, who will most likely help them first, right? It's, it's going to be those who are closest, the family members who live with them. In fact, this is a, this is a biblical principle. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, there, when Paul speaks about widows, and he tells about widows, is that who are they supposed to take care of the widows? Is it the church? Eventually. But if there are children, grandchildren of that widow, let them take care of their widow first. Let the family take care of their family first. Then the church family comes along. Family members therefore have a responsibility to take care of their own family. 
And the same goes for the church family. We may have opportunity to do much good to others, but we have a responsibility to take care of our own family, the household of God. And as a church family, we have many opportunities to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. We heard it in some alluded to in our announcements this morning. You can always just open up our bulletin. You see there's no lack for ways and opportunities to serve our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have need. We have regular opportunities to provide meals, and many of you do that, and we thank God. We should have a, a dessert ministry, too, because we, we have the spiritual gift of deserting, I've heard, uh, at least from our church picnic. We have opportunities to drive, to visit with seniors, limited mobility. And again, I want to just add that, you know, not everybody's going to be able to do all these things. In a church of this size, no single person can, can do it all. No single person can, can meet the needs of, everybody in, of everyone in this church. But as each of us are connected with a few others, a small group of others, we can, we can first minister within those groups for one another when there's needs. That's why we have these uh, small groups or Bible studies or fellowship groups. So that in that group, you, you, can, you know each other well enough to, to take care of one another. But even also, as a small group, and I've seen some of our fellowship groups do this, as they become aware of needs, they together work together to, to meet the needs of others in the church. So oh, there, there's needs. We have, uh, we have needs so-and-so. We, let's, let's do something for that, that person as a, as a group, as a service project, almost, if you will. And so membership in the family of God means doing good, doing good to one another doing good to one another, especially the family of God. Okay? So thirdly, we see a third uh, ramification of membership in the family of God, and it means upholding the truth. It means upholding the truth. And we pick this up from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. Okay, put it up there for you. Paul writes these things. He says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. As you know, the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle to uh, Timothy, who was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Paul hopes to visit Timothy soon, as he wrote in verse 14. But he says, in case he's delayed, he writes, he writes this letter to instruct Timothy so that he would know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God. And presumably, as a pastor, he would teach this to the church in Ephesus as well. This household uh, that, he is to, that, he, that, we are to, that believers are to conduct themselves within is also called the church of the living God. reminded, first of all, that there is a certain expected conduct, there's a certain uh, responsibilities that we have as we are part of this family of God, this, this church. But we're also reminded that God's family is what makes up the church. That God's family, the household of God, is, the ch- is, is uh, equated here with the church of the living God. So if you're not in God's family, that is, if you're not a believer you're not one who confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then you cannot be part of a church. 
It would be a mistake to add to the church and say, you're a part of this church because you're, you attend here. Or you're, you're part of the church because you were born here. You're part of the church because you, you live around here. You're part of the church because you, you, you like to do what we do here. No, that's, that's not what makes you a church. Part of the church. What makes you part of the church is if you're part of the family of God. The family of God is the church, and the church is the family of God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ in no other way. And what's more, this church that we are a part, that we, that we are as a family of God is the church of the living God. That means we talked about this earlier, that he dwells in the church through his Holy Spirit. And today, that if anyone wants to see or draw near to God, they, they don't need to go to Mount Sinai. They don't need to go to, on an Israel trip, you know, to go meet God. No, you don't. You will not find him there. You don't need to go to the Temple Mount even. You will not find him there. Where you find God is in the church of the living God. Not in the building, but in the midst of the people of God, the family of God. That's where we find God. That's where people can go to, to, people go to church where the living God dwells among his family. Here among the church, the world can observe God through First, primarily through the truth that we uphold. That's why it says, which is the church of the living God, that is the pillar and support of the truth. The church exists to be a, a pillar, a, a pole that holds up the building, column, and a support. The support idea is being a ground or a foundation upon which the building sits, which is the church. We are a pillar in support of the truth, the truth. The church is the only place in the world, we learn from this passage, where the truth of God can always be found, or ought is the only place to be found. It is therefore our responsibility as God's family, what do we primarily do in this world is we uphold the truth for the world to see. We are to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. And that's not just show us, but when we, if people, as we show ourselves, we, they people see the truth of God. They see the truth of Christ in us. Churches all across our world are compromising and give in to softening the stance on, on the truth of God's word. And when we do that, though well-meaning, I'm sure, churches lose their effectiveness to be salt and light. So how does the church uphold the truth? How are we as a church, as a family, to uphold the truth together? Well, obviously, the most obvious reason is that we speak the truth. We speak the truth of God's word, of our faith. In all our ministries in this church, up and down, left and right, we all should be confessing and proclaiming the truth of God. If we're not, I don't know why we're a ministry in this church. We should be talking about how God sent his son to save us. What's more, we proclaim and speak the truth when we sing it in our songs. Thank God for our worship ministry. We sing such biblical truths in our songs. We preach it in our sermons. We pray it in our prayers. We discuss it in our fellowships. We confess it in our ordinances that we're going to take later on today. The church is a pillar to support the truth by when we, we hold it, by when we, when we speak and proclaim it, number one. In fact, later on, verse 16 of 1 Timothy 3 is an early church hymn that contained a, a confession that the church had of Christ. But not the least of all, the church also upholds the truth by living it, 
by living it. We live it. Not only we speak it, but we also live it. For instance, we learn in places like 1 John and John, uh, John 13, when we love one another, when we have a love for one another, the world has the, uh, is allowed to see in our lives the love of God. For God's love is manifested whereas believers have a love for one another. So we live God's command. We live the truth. People see different aspects of God. And there's no more impactful place for us to live out God's truth not only is than in our own personal homes. I know as a young Christian, one of the hardest places for the truth of God to be upheld and to live out and fleshed out is in my own family life. My own relationships with maybe that were that have the the baggage of of, of just years of of not being a Christian, not having Christian relationships. But slowly and surely, God transforms even even our homes. In fact, we see this in First Timothy, and in fact, I, I think this is a more significant. I believe this is a more significant truth than we realize. Because in two, in two particular places, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we, we learn of how elders and deacons are to be good managers of their own households. 1 Timothy 3, 5, man does not know how to manage his own household. How will he take care of the church of God? Uh, verse 12, deacons, deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. That word is the identical same word as our word household in verse 15. It's the same word. It means family. And we, we learn from verses 5 and 12, and the whole section really, and, and just early in the chapter, that, that leaders of Christ's church are to be faithful in their own families before they can be faithful in God's family. Right? And we understand this because we, we teach that here. We learn, however, that there is a correlation between how one conducts themselves at home with how they conduct themselves in the church. How you conduct yourself at home is to eventually correlate and will impact how you conduct yourself in the church, in the family of God. And if you don't take care of your own household, your own family, how can you take care of God's household, God's family? The implication is that home family life prepares you for church family life. Many things, and, I've, and as a, and I think many of you already as parents for a long time, you understand this already. <laughs> and, but I, I've only got to learn it in the last probably nine years of my life. A little late for a pastor, to tell you the truth, but I'm glad I'm learning it. Is that so many principles of what we do as parents in make, raising disciples of Christ in our children, they completely, they, they're, all, they're the same principles that work out in the church. They flesh out. And as this church grows larger, I believe this is an important principle that we mustn't neglect. That we are a family. And therefore we ought to conduct ourselves like a family, first and foremost, more than anything else. With a larger church, we we often will start, we inevitably... All large churches do operate um, more like an organization, a, a business, really. 
And now I'm trying to say that in the most neutral way, but there's a little tinge of negativeness in that. We, we will use principles, accounting principles, for instance. We have accountants and some, we need some necessity, right? We, we need to do that. We, we'll have a, a policies regarding the, the use of a building. These are just business, practical business principles into our church life. And, it's, and now we can see that it may be a practical necessity. But biblically speaking, we must always, not, always, remember, always remember and not forget that the church is not a business. It's not a business. We can't think of it as a business. Those of you that are gifted business people, praise the Lord for you. When you become a leader in this church, don't just turn this into a business. It's not a business. Members are not employees. Members are not volunteers. Pastors, we are not professionals. The church is a family. The church is not a business. And I believe we would be more effective church if we think of this, if we always keep this in mind that we see our, our ministry in this church in terms of a family. I've taught at another time that God's plan of making disciples of all the nations, which is basically the, our, our purpose as a church, to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God, that God's plan of making disciples of all the nations begins with and is modeled after God's people discipling their children. So pay attention, young parents. I see you out there. You're going to be learning a lot about being a leader and disciple maker in Christ's church in these coming years. The church is not a bunch of programs or services that we provide. The church is a family that prepares the next generation to worship and serve the Lord. So there's practical, some applications for us. Those of us, myself included, who are older members, and we're still serving, and, and we still have the, the life and strength to serve in, in various areas of ministry. Our challenge, the challenge for you as, a, as an older member of the family is that to recognize that you're going, you and I are going to step off. And so one, we have to be preparing the next generation. We cannot see ministry as just something that, oh, this, I just do this. As long as I'm alive, I'm just going to do this. You're going to leave a big hole when you're gone. We must be thinking about preparing the next generation, giving opportunities to bring someone younger alongside, bring our children, our nephews and nieces, you know, whatever, spiritual nephews and nieces, our younger brothers and sisters, bring them alongside and do ministry with them. Talk about ministry with them. Talk about the Christian life with them. Pass on what you know so that you prepare them to live and do this, repeat and do the same thing you've done when you're gone. Don't be like a parent that does everything for their children, and then when the children grow up, the children don't know how to do anything because you've always been doing it. You never give opportunity for them to learn. And that... <laughs> And that's not easy, but it's, we must do it nevertheless. That's why, and I, do, and I take that to my, heart, my own heart as well, as a pastor of this church, it's been a uh, one of the ways that we do that is when we're preparing somebody, elder, other men, to, to preach from this pulpit. If you haven't noticed this past year, uh, I've been preaching less, and others have been preaching more. 
I don't know how you feel about that. It makes me feel a little purposeless at times. But it's necessity. It's necessary. In fact, in a couple weeks, um, Pastor Ray is going to have an opportunity to preach for about 10 weeks straight. It's part of his doctoral project. And he's going to be preparing, preaching and, and teaching from this pulpit. And though it's part of his class, it's part of our pur- my purpose for him and for Roger and for Theo as well, that those guys are going to get opportunities to be here and, and to teach, preach it's the wall under my watch. So I can help them to improve, and we, you can help them improve as preachers so that when, if anything happens, well, eventually when I die or when I retire, they'll be here to continue the, to preach and teach. So please, uh, as you uh, hear Pastor Ray in the next couple months, um, be, uh, be gracious to him uh, as you have been gracious to me. Now, those of you who are younger members, it's an application for you as a family. Sometimes when you're young mem- younger people, just like young teens, you, you kind of just want to do your own thing. You, you really don't care about the life of the family when you're a teen, especially I know I was, didn't care. I just wanted to go out and be with my friends all the time. But as a family, as a teenager, you have to remember that you're going to be taking on what, what we're doing here. You're going to take it on. You're going to do it probably better than with us, Sure. But you can't take it on if you're not learning. If you're not figuring out, are you learning to, to serve? Are you learning to make disciples? Are you coming alongside, being, a lot, being in a place where you can learn from an older member of the church? Because eventually, your turn comes next really fast. Really fast. And sometimes it comes sooner than we wish. And um, just like all of us who have lost parents know, oh boy, we wish we had spent more time with our parents. We wish we'd asked more questions of them when they were here. Remember that? And uh, you, while you have your spiritual parents, spiritual older brothers, sisters around, uh, ask them questions. Ask them truth. Lastly, membership in the family of God means sharing the sufferings of Christ. It means sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And this we find in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is a long passage, but I want to read it because it just gives you this whole sense of this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure... That none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or, tr- or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The Apostle Peter writes these words here to believers who are aliens. They were, they were strangers in a foreign land. They were scattered all throughout Asia Minor, probably because of persecution. And he writes to encourage them as they were facing suffering for their faith. 
He reminds them that, first of all, suffering for the Christian is something to be, that is to be expected. It's really the odd thing when you're a Christian and you don't face any suffering. He reminds them that suffering for Christians is to share in the sufferings of Christ. Because Christ was persecuted, so his disciples can also expect to be persecuted. Just make sure that when you are persecuted, when you're suffering, make sure, he says, that you're suffering as a Christian. And you're not just suffering because you're just a, you're just a, a nasty, terrible person. So in verse 17, Peter writes then, in conclusion, that judgment begins with the household or the family of God. This judgment refers to the, really to the chastening and purifying of the church by God as he allows suffering for Christians, uh, suffering uh, for Christ in our lives. For this judgment that God allows, this suffering that God allows, is, has a way of, is designed to purify us, to purify the church. Purifies the church. Wherever the church is suffering, you, can, you would generally find a pure and strong church. They may be few, but who you find there are going to be true in their commitment to Christ, and they're going to be strong, and they're going to be, they're going to be together. Because when suffering comes, when first people that leave are those who are just playing church. Those who say, well, I don't really need this. I was just, you know, this is just you know, something I do on the side. But when persecution for Christians come, those who are in Christ are going to stick together. Yes, they may go underground. That may be wise but they will go underground together. They'll, they'll stick together. Those who truly believe will, will put entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. They will learn to grow in trust. They will learn to grow in faith. They will be, grow strong because they know that they, and, they re, and they'll be filled with greater joy because they suffer for Christ. And as they draw closer to Christ in their sufferings, they draw closer to one another. Just like a family member, like a family, when one member suffers, what does the rest of the family do? Oh, too bad. Oh, sorry, Dad. I'm sorry you feel that way. Later. No. The whole family comes together. Oh, Dad, you, when I'm, it's my home, uh, I usually do negative, but I give you positive. In my home, sometimes I have back pains, right? I got back pains. As soon as I walk around in a, in a, even in a funny little funny way, my sons start running over to me, and they start, you know, massaging my back. You know, it's all so good. Thanks, scratching my back. It's, they know when, when one member of the family suffers, they, they as a, understand it's almost natural response to, to come alongside, to care and support one another in the suffering. And then the same way when the family of God, when individuals in our church suffer for Christ, the whole family comes together and supports that member or those members. We must support one another in our suffering for Christ. So when we lose jobs or friends or family, when we face ridicule, when we are ostracized because of Christ, we may feel sorrow and loss, but we will discover, hopefully at those times, a family that comes alongside to support and encourage us. And so in this way, we see the ramifications of membership in the family of God. Family membership in the family of God means growing together in Christ. It means doing good to, the, to one another in the family of Christ. It means upholding the truth 
It means sharing the sufferings of Christ. And if you are a, are a child of God, then I encourage you, don't be merely an attender of Essa Bible. Be an active member of this family of God. And if this is what you're ready for, then I invite you to become a member of this church family. Okay? I invite you to become a member, an active member of this family. And you can begin by joining the membership of this church by, joining, by committing to this church family, identifying with, with this family, these, our, all these fellow brothers and sisters in our unity to, to serve and worship Christ and to make disciples of Christ in the world. And the best way to do this at this time is to attend our fundamental Sunday school class. Our fundamental Sunday school class goes year-round. It basically just teaches two things. It teaches the fundamentals of what we believe what we believe as a church, so you know well, this is what the church believes. It also teaches the fundamentals of church life. This is how the church conducts itself, basically. And in so doing, you learn a lot about the church by just attending that class, and you can see the, it's in the announcement. It just keeps repeating itself after, year after year. But once you're a member, then you can begin to build relationships with your church family. And you can do so through participating in one of the various Sunday schools, fellowships, or small groups of the church. And you can find all these listed in our bulletin as well. But one new thing that we're doing in addition is that we are, we are looking to renew our home fellowship or community group we're relabeling ministry. So if you're looking for a small group to participate in, you don't, you don't belong to anything, you want to be a part, you want to get to know other believers, you want to grow together in Christ, um, we're going to start community groups uh, come fall. And so to help us, we're going to actually, we, uh, there's a survey that you can fill out if you have, are interested. It's at go.sfbible.org forward slash community groups, okay, community groups. Um, in fact, you should just take a picture of that QR code and then you, it'll take, it should take you there. We'll have another bulletin in the weeks, weeks to come. But as hopefully, as you grow, as you're part of a community, as you're part of various Bible studies, fellowship groups where you can be connected to others, then you're going to eventually, inevitably, learn to serve, serve one, one another. And um, you're going to serve and grow in Essa Bible. And uh, this is something we hope that all of, every member, just like every member of the body has some part to do, every member of the family has a part. And some are, are, some are more mature and can do more, and some who are kind of just still young will, will do less, and that's okay. But everybody does a part. Everybody gets involved. And one of the wonderful ways that we can apply this as we're coming up in later this month is at the end of this month, on August 27th, we're going to have a ministry fair. And this ministry fair allows you and all of us really to come and check out the ministries of this church and how we can pray or be a part of those respective ministries. And hopefully I'll give you some, a little today, uh, just a little bit of my heart. It's a little, little lighter on the exegesis, a little more more on the, uh, just the application. Uh, but hopefully you can understand that what we want to see here at As a Bible is that every attender is, is to be a, an active member, a family member of this church. And for that, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word and help us to become a church where that we really are a family, where we uh, are brothers and sisters in Christ. We conduct ourselves with the same, hopefully with the same love and care for one another as we do in our own homes. And we pray that we, we know we cannot do this on our own. We need 
your spirit to fill us and lead us in this, in this work. And we thank you, Lord, for, for your encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen.